A little boy was heard talking to himself as he walked across the backyard, baseball cap in place, ball and bat in his hands. I'm the greatest hitter in the world, he said. He truly believed that. So he threw the ball up and swung and missed. Strike one, he said. But again, he told himself, I am the greatest hitter ever. He threw the ball up again, swung and missed. He looked at the ball and he looked at the bat and through gritted teeth declared his belief one more time. I'm the greatest hitter that ever lived. He threw the ball up again and swung and missed a third time. This time he said, strike three. Wow. I do believe I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> ah. Ah. God wants us to place our belief in him. And it matters what we believe. You know, it's amazing that God has, 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 in his great wisdom and his great love, that God has, has allowed us to choose uh, what we're going to believe, our belief system. Not, not only what we believe about Jesus and God's son, although that is the most important decision anyone will ever make, is whether or not they're going to receive Jesus Christ and allow him to come into our life, forgive us of our sins, and be our Savior and Lord. Be saved. That's the most important decision you'll ever make. Scripture's very plain that if we gain all the world, we can, we can make great financial decisions. We can great, make great uh, decisions in the other areas. But if we do all that and don't make the decision to take eternal measures for our soul, it says we're foolish. We're foolish. And God allows us to believe that. But not only what we believe about him, but what we believe about our, our societal things and our personal values. You know, some people believe that Jesus uh, is, is, a, is a good man. Some people want to regulate him along the level playing field with Gandhi and Muhammad. And so they'll say Jesus was a, a good prophet. Even had one guy tell me one time, that Jesus was a rebellious Jew. Uh, he just rebelled against the Jewish system and he was a renegade. Some people believe that he is God's only begotten son, that he came to earth on a rescue mission, that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, three days later raised again and ascended to the Father and he did all that so that we putting our faith in him could be saved, that he is our Lord and Savior. But he's given us the freedom to choose that. He don't force anyone to do, to believe that. He, uh, God in his, in his great grace gives us uh, evidence and gives us demonstrations of his love and of his power. And he wants us to believe that. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. But we get to choose what we believe. But we aren't free to choose the consequences of what we believe. And our choices do have consequences that are directly related to what we believe. I was, I was reading these verses and I thought, uh, I thought back 50 years ago, Larry and Geraldine Helton will remember this. There was a, a guy preached in our church. His name was Jack Taylor. Preached a lot. But I remember one sermon that I'll never forget. Jack, and I was, I was a teenager. And, and Jack Taylor preached a sermon and the title was a sermon was you can believe a lie and be damned. Wow. That was a sobering, sobering 
message to me. One, I didn't know you could say the D word in church, but, but, but other than that was that we could, you know, that, that if we need to be careful what we put our belief in, our trust in, it makes difference and it makes an eternal difference in what we believe. Well, through the 13th chapter of Matthew, I've really enjoyed uh, our time together as we, as we look at the parables that Jesus taught there and in teaching these parables that he was revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven or the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus taught the first few parables. He was, he was uh, in Gal- on the Sea of Galilee, literally, and he was there speaking to the people, a large crowd had gathered on the shore. He comes to the shore, he dismisses the, the large crowd and they go into a house. And with his disciples and, and most likely a few small, uh, a small group, a few other people. And he shares the other parables, explaining some of the first. And then when he completes, when he ends the parables in verse 52, the writer of Matthew, the Matthew, the, the, the writer of this book, under the instructions or the, the inspiration, the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, pens these, these last Closing words, beginning with verse 53 through 54. And I, and I believe, I mean, this is, this is not coincidence that these verses follow what happened there in, 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 in with the parables. So I think they're, they're, they're critically important. And then this morning, I just want you to be thinking, it makes a big difference what I believe. It makes a big difference what I believe. Let's, let's, let's start with verse 33 and just kind of walk through these verses together as we finish this chapter. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. Now there was uh, Capernaum. It's a town, uh, the ruins, if you've been to Israel, the, the, on the northwest uh, shore of Galilee are still the, the remains and the ruins of the Capernaum that, uh, that Jesus preached in and walked in. And, and, and he did many, many miracles and great works, not only in Capernaum, but in that, that area right around Capernaum. I was reading about these verses and about this, and uh, recently in Red Cross where someone said, the people enjoyed the show, but rejected the message. And I first read that and I thought, what? But then it made sense. Still today, Jesus and his teaching and even the healings to many of the people who went to watch was just, it was another show. Figure out how he did these tricks. Figure out who was weak enough to be deceived by it. Oh, it was exciting. It was, it was fascinating, but it was just another show. They didn't believe the message. Listen to what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, because of their unbelief. Matthew eleven twenty-three 23 said, and you Capernaum, which is exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here. But I say unto you that it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. Jesus had shown his divine power in miraculous ways in Capernaum. 
and the people had seen this, they had heard this, and many of them marveled. Some of them were critical and criticized, and only a few of them believed. And when they failed to believe what Jesus was sharing, it sealed their doom. Let's look on, verse 54. He left Capernaum, and he came to his own country. He went home. He went to Nazareth. So it was a, Nazareth was a small town, still, still there today. Small town, and uh, it's, like a, it's like a small town. Some of you, like me, you've grown up here. Others have moved here, and, and you're amazed that in small towns, everybody knows everybody, and a lot of times they know everybody else's business, right? That's small town, yeah? And so uh, Nazareth was small town, and the word, and they had heard of Jesus, they, they, they had heard of, the, of their hometown boy, they had heard of his, of his miracles that he did, of healing, of, of mighty works that he had done. They had heard people say that he taught, he, 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 his teaching was, was different, it was with power, and it was amazing, the insights that he had. And now he was coming home. And you'd think that, man, there would have been a, there would have been, they maybe they got the band together real quick or got the Chamber of Commerce and they'd have had a big sign put across the road into Nazareth and saying, welcome home, Jesus. You, you did good. You know, welcoming their, 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 their son home. But that's not what happened. Verse 54 says, he came to his own country and he went to the synagogue, most likely on that Sabbath day. And he taught, let me read verse 53, 54, and 55, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, and he taught them in the synagogue, and, and uh, insomuch that they were astonished and said, where's this, where's this man got his wisdom and these mighty works? He's the carpenter's son. His mother is Mary. His brothers are James and Jose and Simon and Judas. And his sisters, they live here. How's he doing all this stuff? Now, to give us great insight at the same time is a parallel passage in Luke chapter 3. You can stick a finger or a piece of paper. Well, don't leave your finger there. Keep it to your hand. But, but Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, just a little bit, Luke puts just a little bit more meat on what was happening. Begin with verse 16. It says, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, what would happen is uh, the rabbi would stand and read from the scroll. And the scroll would be put up. And then the rabbi would sit down and would begin his teaching. Okay? So this was his custom. And there was delivered unto Jesus the book or a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book... He found the place where he's written. Now, if you read that, you understand, Jesus was very deliberate of where he turned to in the scroll, okay? I imagine that everybody was excited. The prophet Isaiah would have been a very familiar prophet. The rabbis had taught from it multiple times. Some beautiful passages, some beautiful promises that they were still looking forward to. Jesus gets a scroll and very 
deliberately turns to what we would probably say is Isaiah 61, right? And he begins to read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the scroll and he gave it back and they put the scroll up and he sat down. Now it's time for, them to, for him to teach. And everybody's eyes in the synagogue was fastened on him. Now, the, the scripture he had read, again, was very familiar to them. No doubt the rabbis had, had taught from this scripture all the lives of everybody there. Because this was one of the prophetic, this was one of the prophets promising that a Messiah would come. That God would send a promised one who would, who would bring deliverance, who would break the chains. That's all that the song redeemed. He was promised somebody that would come and redeem mankind back. And so they were excited, they were familiar. And so it was, it was, it was a very beloved passage and they, when, and they looked to listen to what this hometown boy would, sh- would share with them, the one they had heard so much about, would share with them from this passage And what did he say? Verse 21. And he began to say to them, this day, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What was he saying? He said, the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. Now, 30-something years ago or around 30 years ago or something not too long in the past, he had been born in a, in a stable in Bethlehem. And the angels had announced it. The shepherds had, had received the message and had went and seen for themselves. The wise men had come for a long distance and had found this young child and had presented gifts to him. He had been down in exile in Egypt. He had brought, come back after those that were seeking for his life had died. And the Messiah was there. But the people that were listening to him that morning were still looking for something that was to come or for someone that was to come. And he was there and they didn't even know it. You know, there may be people sitting here this morning that you're still looking for something in your life to bring meaning. You're still looking for something in your life who's going who's to make it all come together. And you're looking and looking. I want to say to you this morning, you don't have to look any further because he's already come. And Jesus said to those people that morning, he's here. Let's look on. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they kind of, and then Luke says the same thing, Joseph. And they said, man, ain't this Joseph's son? It is Joseph's boy. And they said, You will surely say, and he said to him, you'll surely say unto me this proverb, and it's a very familiar proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your home country. He said, you're going to look at me and say, well, if you're the one, then you heal yourself first. And he said, you want me to do 
the works and the miracles here that I did in Capernaum. He's already said, as he pronounced Capernaum, the works that I did there, and there were many, the works that I did there, if they had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would repent it, but you haven't. And so now, in the synagogue, Jesus is saying, and you want me to do these works? Let's go on. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I'll tell you a truth. Many widows, well, let me back up. Can you go back to verse 24? I, because Matthew makes a big deal. When we read in Matthew, he makes a big deal. They make a big deal of, of, of Jesus of saying, you know, we grew up with him. Uh, we were neighbors to, to Mary and Joseph. We know his mom and dad. Our kids played with him when he was a kid. They didn't, I, I, first service, I said, I wonder if they played, they, they didn't play Cowboys and Indians. I, they didn't do that in Israel. I don't know if they ever played Philistines and Hebrew. I don't know. <laughs> but I know boys. They played something. All right? And, and, and they would have said, our, our kids played with your kids. We know him. We know his mom. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. And they said, we know he hadn't been to seminary. I, I, Matthew, Matthew says it this way. Matthew says, Matthew don't, Matthew don't even say he's a carpenter. Matthew said he is a carpenter's son. Okay? We know his daddy. We know he, 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 he maybe we've got furniture in our house that, him, that he built or him and his daddy built. They may have done an addition on our house. We know him. We know all about him. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Bible school. Where is he getting all this wisdom, all this thing? Does, he's one of us. Does he think he's better than we are? Somebody said it takes 100 miles to make someone an expert. <laughs> I love that. You got to be at least about 100 miles away from home. And then you can be an expert. You know, but when you're home, you're just one of us. You know, I struggle, I, this is a verse I struggle with. I didn't share this. I don't know if I've ever shared this. Uh, Barbie and I had, had driven up to Mulkey Gap and uh, I was teaching. Her kids were little, real, uh, kids were little and, and the, the, the church was looking for a pastor. And, uh, and I was just kind of feeling as a loose term. I, I was just there sometimes. I was at church, but, but filling in. And, but, but some of the leadership had come to me and said, would, would you consider pastoring our church? First, first verse that came to mind, Barbie and I were sitting up there. I remember sitting, sitting on, the, on the side of the creek. And I said, I said it won't work. It won't work. I, I, I grew up in that church. They know uh, that there's, the older people there know everything I did wrong. <laughs> and it wasn't one of them small notepads. It was a legal pad. <laughs> you know, they, they know what I've done wrong. They know me. They know me. And I argued with God, God strongly about that. You know? Um, and, it, and with me, it was just one of those things that, and I had people tell me. I had people tell me when I first started pastoring. Say, you've made a mistake. It's wrong. Because uh, you're from there. They just don't do it that way. Jesus said to these people, he said, uh, he, go, he goes to them, he said, he, he finally says to them, he said, no prophet 
is accepted in his own country. And then look what he says. He said, but I'll tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heavens was shut up three and a half years with drought. Didn't rain. Remember, in the famine. And it was throughout all the land. And he said, there was needs everywhere. But to none of them did God send Elijah. Is that Elias? Elijah or it's Elijah, I think. Not Elisha, but Elijah. None of them was, God didn't send Elijah to him, except he sent Elijah, well, how do you say, to Sarepta? How do you say that? Sarepta? A city of, of, of Sidon. And to a woman that was a widow, but she was a Gentile. God sent Elijah to, to outside, to, and there was a lot of Jewish widows, but God sent her, him to her. He goes on. And he said, there's a lot of leopards in Israel in, in the days of, what's the other, all right, is that Elijah or Elisha? All right. He was the one that had the, had the, the helper. Anyway, he's the one that Nahum came to, Old Testament. A lot of leopards, and he said, none of them was cleansed except this Gentile general, Nahum, from Syria. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And not only that, he was a commander of the Syrian forces that had, had most likely, matter of fact, he had a Jewish slave in his house. She was there because they had conquered, they had, they had, they had came and, and took him away. She's the one who told him about the prophet. And Jesus says to these people to these, in the synagogue, he said, and who did God send him? To? God healed this Gentile general. God sent the prophet to this Gentile widow. Now, when he gets to this point and when he says that, look what happened. And all of them that were in the synagogue when they heard these things, raised their hands and rejoiced and had a glorious meeting on what God had done. <laughs> Is that what happened? Huh? No. I mean, doing great works, and it's hard to, hard to argue with, but then you come in and tell us that these Gentiles are preferred above the Jews? Everyone knows the Messiah's coming for the Jews to the Jews. Now, let me, Craig, you're just so awesome. You've been so awesome. Can, can, can we go back to verse 27? I want, I'll show you. Between verse 27 and verse 28, I want you to, I want you to look at this. Where am I? I've got to find my notes. Where am I? My notes. Now, right, here it is. All right, between verse 27 and 28. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Nathan. Between verse 27 and 28... There is, a, there is a word that's used in some translations that talk, says taught. He taught them. And that word in, in those translations is in, is in a present perfect tense. Now, I don't know a whole lot, but I know enough how to use uh, concordances and, and, and things helps now. And that, that it's important because that word is a continuous action. And it says, it says and Je as Jesus was teaching them, the, long, the more he taught them, the madder they got. That's what, that's what it's saying. Okay? 
He, he, he talked to him and he said, this day is just, is, is just been fulfilled in your ears. And that just, for a lot of it, it was like, mm. and then he goes on and he talks about that you're going to say, hear yourself and no prophets accepted in it. And you want to know, you, you know, you say, you know me well, you know my family, you know my from, and they're going, mm. and then on top of all that, he kind of sticks in there, this, these two acts of mighty acts of God where God reaches out and takes care of a Gentile widow and heals a Gentile general of, of leprosy. And that's it. That's it. The dam has busted. That's all they can take. And they are wroth. They were filled with wrath. Wow. Now, the fact of his wisdom was amazing to him. His works, they knew. They knew his family. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. But they just could not believe. They couldn't believe it. Matter of fact, in Matthew, if you go back to Matthew, and we'll, we'll finish it up here with, with just a few thoughts. Matthew says it this way, where Luke says they were filled with wrath. Matthew in verse 57 says, and they were offended. I just can't imagine Anybody ever getting offended in synagogue? Those Jewish people. We Protestants don't ever get offended in church. I know, I'm being facetious, I need to quit. Okay. And many of them were offended, but Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. In verse 58, in verse 58 is where we want to kind of wind it up. In verse 58 to me is one of the most, uh, it's a verse that as I read this, as I read these closing verses, I, I, I thought we finished the parables. I'm just going to read these, these verses in 13. We're going on to chapter 14. That's what I thought. That's because I didn't think, I thought there's nothing, there's really nothing here. He's just, Matthew is just saying he, he left Capernaum, went to Nazareth and, he, and then he goes on. And boy, the more I, the, I, I, I kept stumbling over verse 58. I kept tripping over verse 58. Every time I would read verse 58, I would think of what Jack Taylor, his message, you can believe a lie and be damned. Look at verse 58. Man, and he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Was he able to? Did he have the power to? Sure. Do you, I want, do you think he wanted to? I believe he did. Mark, in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, Mark, the same thing, says it this way. It says, and he could there do no mighty work. Save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Wow. And when I read it, and, and, and when I read that verse, it was, just, it was just like it just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about them. It was about me. Are there areas in my life that God can't do what he wants to do because I don't believe he can? Wow. I had a man say to me one time, we was, I was, just a, I was still, still young, still in college, and uh, over in the ed, church in the edge of, Tennessee, North Carolina, 
kind of right there where they joined. And somebody came to me and said, uh, would you go talk to, to this man? He said, uh, he's, he's got some, said, it says, he comes to our services and he cries and he goes to altar and he cries, but he says God can't save him. And I went and uh, I said, sure. I went and talked and, and the man said, I've, I've done too much. I've hurt too many people. He had, he had served time for murder and some other, other things. And he said, God can't, I, he, said, he said, I don't want to go to hell, but God can't save me. Sometimes we, sometimes we the enemy puts lies in our, in our head. And I want, I want to tell you something. If you're here this morning, there is, there is nothing that my Jesus can't forgive and redeem. Not just, redeem, not just forgive and set you in a corner and everybody come back and say, boy, that, look, that's what happens when you, when you mess up real bad. You sit over there you know, with jury. No, he can redeem that. But you have to come to him believing. You have to come to him believing. And then I thought, not, not that. I said, okay, Lord, I, I know you've saved me. I know that I've been forgiven. And then, it, and then the, the question is, are, are there areas in my life? Are there things in my life that I just think is too big for God to handle? That He's dying to, ha- dying to handle. I could say he died to handle. That's the term we use here, right? I'm just dying to eat that banana pudding. You ever heard, ever, ever heard that? You know? Oh, come on. How many have ever heard somebody say, I'm just dying to go there. I'm just dying to hear that. All right, the rest of you, you need to learn some things here, okay? <laughs> this, this may be North Georgia hillbilly, all right? But I, when, I, when you say, man, I'm just, I'm just dying to meet him, or I'm just dying to go fishing there, it means, you know, we got a real strong desire or urge, want to real bad. And I started to say, he's just dying. To, I, he died. Jesus died so that we could live. Now, let's get on with living by trusting him. Does unbelief still hinder the work Jesus wants to do in our, in our lives, in our homes, in our churches? Wow. In our country, in our world. Talked to a couple of young men Friday. Zach seeked them on me. Uh, they stopped by here and they were working on, Zach working on the doors and Zach called and said, so-and-so's here, you there? I started to say, no, I ain't here. But uh, he laughed, and, 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 and he, but he, he sent these two guys out. I love them. You, you'll meet them soon, probably. And, and they, you don't need to talk to them uh, <clears throat> about denomination, our political party, and a lot of other issues like that. But, 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 but if you want to talk to them about what Jesus is doing and God's doing, they will, they will fill your ears full. And, and, but they were so excited because they, were, they not only had experienced what God had done in their lives, but now they were, they were a part of what God was doing in the hearts and lives of so many young men and women. And we were talking about what would happen. I wondered this. You know, I want this. Uh, what would happen if, if, if the church, if, if the church, when I say the church, I mean those of us that have been 
had our sins forgiven by, by Jesus' blood. I, we call it being saved. I just want you to know, when I say somebody's saved, that means they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he is their Lord and Savior. It's not because they've been good enough. I, you know, hey, let's just lay that aside, because you can't be good enough. They, there's no one in this church that's good enough for Jesus to save. And Jesus don't bless you and do works in your life because you're his favorite. He is, his love is unconditional. He is longing to, his grace is, he is longing to extend his grace and mercy to those who will believe and receive him for who he is. And we were talking about, wonder what would happen if, if, if God's people, you know, forgot were they were Baptist or Methodist or interdenominational or, or non-denominational church of God. What about, what about if we just, that those that were saved lived like we were saved? What about if those that were saved just really didn't matter so much whether we were Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian or, or, or Fruitarian or whatever they are, but what would happen if we were just Christians and this was our directions or manual to live by and we were we were you know we were talking about if if and when that and when that does happen when that happens you know we're talking about what scripture says scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name what does it say i'm in the midst of them and you know what it's where when we're gathered in his name he doesn't say where two or three are gathered in the church house it's a building it's a building but we can be gathered at the service station. You can be gathered in the backyard. You can be gathered in your living room. It's when we're together, what, in his name. That means, that means he is Lord. He is authority. We're there and we're focusing on him. He's there. And when, and, and when we begin and as we continue and realize that and live that way, the works, the miracles that he wants to do, longs to do, desires to do, and the world will see him and believe. We were talking about, I'm just, I'm afraid that too many times the unbelieving world, Jesus is hometown. If anybody, if anybody should have believed, you'd think it'd be, it'd be them, man. Look at, look at this, it's, it's, look at them. They, they're there where he grew up. Sometimes people grow up in church and they still don't believe. Oh, they believe in going to church, trying to be good. And, they, and somehow or another along the line, if we aren't careful, going to church and being good and trying to do the best we can, we settle for that, which is all good. But Jesus is wanting a relationship. He's wanting a relationship. Not based on how good we can do or try to do but based on what he's done. And he's forgiven us. And he's redeemed us. He's the teacher. We're the learners. He's the healer. We're the sick ones that need, in need of healing. He's the savior. We're the sinners that are lost that need his salvation. He's the redeemer who's just waiting on you but it makes a difference what you believe I just I read this and I thought and, and, and with me it was don't 
Don't be like Capernaum, the people of Capernaum, and the people of Nazareth, who because of their unbelief hindered or stopped what Jesus wanted to do. He couldn't do it because they didn't believe. Do you believe he can do all things? Do you believe he can reach to the uttermost? Do you believe he can restore where there's no restoration? Do you believe he can take dry bones and bring them together and put sinew on them and put meat on them and put life back in them? Do you believe he can take a dead and dying and and helpless and hopeless sinner and can redeem them and can set them up and men, people and boys and girls and men and women to the Lord? That's my Jesus. He can do all things. He can take a home where there's just argument and a lot of bickering and healing and stuff and he can bring peace there. He can take a church that quarrels and argues about the color of this or the color of that or the heat or the cold, and he can bring revival. My Jesus can do all things. I, there's a little song we used to sing. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Let's pray. Lord, what a... What a What an appropriate and compelling finish Matthew has has placed here at the end of the parables. As you reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Lord, they will remain mysteries unless by faith we believe and see what you've taught. Lord, it's the same way that redemption and restoration Sanctification and concentration, consecration, all these things are, are just big sounding words that end in I-O-N. And they'll remain that. Words that are used in religious services that probably mean something else. Now we don't know. Unless we believe. And trust you. Father, it's my prayer this morning. That from the youngest one sitting in, here, in, the, in the sanctuary. To the oldest. From the most educated with multiple doctorates to the one who didn't get to finish primary school. That the truth of who you are and of how much you love us. That we would believe that and act on that. Your word says that you demonstrated your love toward us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. I'm not asking you to uh, about the joining the house of prayer. I'm not asking about your church relationship. I'm not asking about any other thing. I'm simply saying to you this morning, this morning, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you, I, I, I really trust that there's a that there is a. Uh, an unction of the Holy Spirit, that there is a drawing, there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit that's saying to you, these things are true and you can trust them, but you have to believe them. And I'm gonna ask you, if that's you, by faith, would you pray with me? God, I believe, as far as I can understand, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and he rose again. Now come into my heart, forgive my sins, and be my Lord. Direct me and grow me like you want me to be. Thank you, Lord.
You may be here this morning. You may have already been, you may have been a Christian for many years like me. But this morning, as, 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 God, as we've looked at God's word, there's been, a, there's been that, that thing that keeps coming to your mind that you thought was impossible or that you thought had just read, wrote it off that you're going to live with that because God can't do anything about that. But this morning, the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing you back to that and bringing you back to that and bringing you back to that. This morning, by faith, will you trust him with that? Whatever it is. It may be a family issue. It may be a personal situation. It may be something that's been long, long standing. Or it may be something as fresh as yesterday. But the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you, trust and obey. Just believe me and watch God work. Would you pray with me? God, this is where I am and just name your circumstance to him. Maybe you've tried all you can do, but you can say, God, this is where I am. And I know that you're a God that's big enough and able. You may do it in a way that I never imagined, but I know you can handle it. Lord, take care of this. And in taking care of this, let me draw near to you that I may see you more clearly, that I may love you more dearly. And that our relationship would be a relationship. In your name I pray. Amen.